0: The Radical Secular Podcast A demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com For articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes Support us on Patreon, and follow us on social media
1: Welcome to the Radical Secular podcast. I'm Sean Prophet. I'm Drew Scott. And I'm Joe Okipinti. Today, we're going to talk about the liberal media's both sides problem. And in the process, we'll delve more deeply into why we at the Radical Secular call ourselves post-liberal, an adjective that places all of us firmly at odds with much of the liberal consensus. We've all heard that famous quote from Ellie Wiesel that neutrality favors the oppressor. And today we're gonna discuss how the supposedly fact-based liberal media ends up routinely and powerfully legitimizing right-wing talking points that should never see the light of day. Christoph will be joining us today for this discussion in our guest segment, along with the host of the Secular Left podcast, Doug Berger. In our news segment, we'll talk about last week's California special recall election results, unhinged Joe Biden conspiracy theories, the upcoming release of Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's new book, Peril, ongoing Florida craziness, social justice at the Met Gala, and we'll hear a brief climate update from Joe. But first, I wanna remind you to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to listen. And please head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com theradicalsecular We'd really appreciate your support, even if it's just buying us a cup of coffee every month. We have support tiers from $3 a month on up, and new episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. Now this week I want to give a shout out to our new Patreon supporter, Carrie Johnson from Minnesota, who's supporting the show at a $9 a month tier. Carrie's someone I've known most of my life and who certainly recognizes the importance of secularism and social justice. So welcome to our Patreon team, Carrie. I'm really glad to have your support. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, now let's get into
2: our t-shirts. Drew and Joe, what do you got? Joe, why don't you go first? So Speaking of post-liberalism, I think one of the ways we need to redefine this idea of what liberal means in, is to think, to really ground ourselves in science more, right? So this is what I've got, All right? Because oh, science. Oh, you're, you're, you're winking out. Okay, I think we saw it, though.
1: Because science.
2: <clears throat> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things we can, we can talk about and we will talk about over the course of this episode and many others, I think on on what it means to be post-liberal and i think we really do need to like critically redefine what who we are and what we were what we stand for and what our philosophy is right yeah, there's a lot of anti-science uh garbage on the left i hate to say it there is yeah
1: definitely so drew what do you got for <laughs> a shirt
2: um well i knew
0: the theme of the show largely was going to be media so i i know you guys know i i usually sports some sort of mashup. This one is from a hardcore (laughs) band that I really like called the Dillinger escape plan. And they did a limited run of these shirts that say, uh, Oh yeah. The Billinger escape plan. (laughs) And it's got, it's got Bill uh, O'Reilly
3: from that,
0: from that that infamous YouTube clip where he's spazzing out about the teleprompter. And at the bottom, (laughs) it's hard to read the slow, but it says fucking guy sucks.
1: At the yeah bottom. that fucking Jeez. guy does suck i'm so glad we don't hear much from oh him anymore. my bill o'reilly i i, I yeah it's <laughs> a blast from the past All i those- hear him i hear him on satellite radio
0: sometimes doing home title lock ads so never <laughs> never give that company <laughs> your money
1: no and and you know i mean I, i'm not sure <clears throat> if i think sean hannity is worse who took his slot so yeah i mean it's just a it's, it's just a parade of these guys <laughs> yeah for sure for sure And Um, you you had something else to show us, right?
0: I did have something else. So I recently uh, invested in a 3D printer and it took me a little while to get it up and running properly. And, you know, we're all big Star Trek fans here at uh, the Radical Secular. And I tell you, this thing is about as close as you're going to get to a replicator. Look (laughs) at. this you oh made that God. with your 3d printer wow I, I i printed that with my with my 3d printer <laughs> that's and a, that's awesome i sanded it down and then painted it and you know it's a prop for my toy photography i just it's a 112 yeah. scale uh tyrannosaurus skull yeah it's and pretty be, big <laughs> how big <laughs> yeah. is it like six inches or so 12 oh, inches bigger than i mean that's not 12 inches i'd say maybe seven or eight inches long it's pretty big Nice. It's not as big as your head.
2: <laughs> you must have yeah. a, a pretty good size 3D printer there to
0: do that. Uh, you know, it's actually on the lower end the model is the Elegoo Neptune 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was only like $180 on Amazon. Oh, wow. I, I thought that wow. these machines were a lot more expensive, but so it's actually I. pretty cheap to, to jump into it. It's it's yeah. pretty awesome.
1: It's just like inkjet printers, though. They get you on the filament on those 3D printers, right? <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> yes. the
0: the filament is You know, it's like twenty dollars a spool, and the spool lasts a good amount of time. But yeah, it's not free,
1: right? (laughs) Okay, well, um, that is super cool, Drew. uh, I I can't wait to see what else you come up with.
2: The last time I looked into like 3D printers were like a thousand bucks and up. Now they're like two hundred and London. That's amazing. Yeah, technology is just wow. Yeah,
1: well, I'm striving for a show record for the most (laughs) obscure Star Trek reference, and this is my shirt is. Ming the Merciless. Okay. Oh, that's pretty awesome.
2: Ming the Merciless
1: is a character from the. He's the villain in the Flash Gordon series. It was the blueprint for the Doctor Chaotica character in the Adventures of Captain Proton holodeck program on Voyager. Okay, so that's that's pretty obscure, isn't it? Tom Paris, right? (laughs) Yeah, Tom Paris and Harry Kim. Yeah, Yeah, Harry Um, Kim. But. It's, it's super awesome, not awesome, that the Janeway character had to pretend to fall in love with Chaotica in the Bride of Chaotica episode, and I will never forget her eye roll to camera <laughs> in that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. Like, I remember that scene. They broke the fourth wall there a little bit. I don't know if that yeah. was a wall, but...
1: Anyway, OK, let's talk about the news. Uh, the first thing, obviously, that's on everyone's mind is uh, the California recall election results. And Drew, since you're in California, do you want to start? What's the general feeling in California right now?
0: Overwhelming relief. <laughs> I mean, a few weeks ago, the result was not so certain. You know, mm-hmm. the polling was looking not that great for Newsom. It seemed like there was a chance that he might dip below the 50 the percent threshold and that we might actually have to go through with this recall nonsense. It wasn't until a couple days before the election that the polls poll numbers started improving and started getting in the mid 60s or so. And by the time that you know the election came around, I, I was pretty calm about it, still had some some nervous feelings about it, but man, still the relief flooded into my veins because Larry Elder is a fucking psycho. And if you live in this state and supported that stupid recall, you need to rethink your goddamn life. I mean, really. What no, I hell? know.
1: I know. And fortunately, like he got trounced, shellacked, you know, you come up with your whatever term you want, he got destroyed. And yeah. uh, it was a resounding repudiation of Trumpism and also of COVID resistance, which I thought was great. And <clears throat> I was worried too, because, you know, whatever the polls say, it's it, everything is turnout and so right you know who was going to return those ballots and were they going to you know were they were was california going to go republican based on you know people throwing away their junk mail or whatever you know <clears throat> um i think the last time
0: was kind of an anomaly because people enjoyed the novelty of being able to vote for arnold schwarzenegger
1: you know i think yeah. like, oh i can vote for the terminator hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, and he didn't end up through. being like, like if he was on the ballot, like it wouldn't be that bad. Like, you right. know, he would be no. at least sane. Right. Yeah, he's a <laughs> yes. centrist. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, I was going to say the if you look at the map, the areas of the state that are most impacted by COVID were also the ones to vote in favor of the recall. Okay, and that's just insane. It, we're seeing, it's, it's a whole like red counties in California where people are dying at, at high rates and, they, and they're still voting to end the, restrict, the,
2: the COVID restrictions. You know, it's funny, California is a lot like Massachusetts where the Republican Party is just, like Massachusetts is overwhelmingly democratic like California is, but the Republican Party is so off the wall now in the state. Like they're just so extremist. And like, they're just killing them. They're just destroying their their chances of actu- actually gaining power in the state, like, like they are in California.
1: Yeah, well, and they also, they, they, they knew they were going to lose because they already had a website ready to go uh, claiming election fraud. And I think when it came out, the results came out like pretty close to two to one. I think they, they kind of gave up on that idea. And uh, <laughs> Elder conceded yeah. within like hours of the of the polls closing. So <clears throat> that was kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry. Go ahead, Drew. Oh, sorry.
0: Just real quick, I was just going to say. I think Dan Savage once said uh, that there aren't red and blue states; there are only red states with blue cities big enough to flip them. (laughs) Fortunately, we have some sizable blue cities here in this state, so it turned the right way.
1: Very much so. And I want to talk a little bit about the recall reform that's that's been proposed here. And this recall process, you know, it pretends to be this populist thing, but it's really a minority power grab and The GOP, like you said, Joe, uh, knows that its goose is cooked uh, probably permanently in places like California, Massachusetts. So it's relegated to minority power grabs like recall elections. And they know that the recall can result in someone who gets a tiny share of the vote, like maybe even 20 percent becoming governor uh, the way that it's structured. also, these things are rare, and it seems like almost maybe they were trying to do a trial run for doing this again other places, because this was only the fourth gubernatorial recall election in U.S. history. And, you know, three of them were this century. And only one other time in 1921, 100 years ago, North Dakota, a governor was recalled. But that's it. In the history of America, only four recalls and two of them have failed. So. Huh. Um, I just want to talk briefly about what they're planning to do, which is to raise the threshold for the recall, uh, up to 25% of the number of people who voted in the last election, and also requiring that the recall be for cause, like some kind of criminal or unethical behavior, as opposed to just, we don't like him. Or he um, had the
0: audacity of winning.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also raising the filing fee, tightening signature requirements, um, allowing the sitting governor to be added to the list of replacement candidates, which only makes sense Um, because having (laughs) it's just it's just so weird because you get like 40 people on the ballot. So to get to win a a plurality of uh, an election where there's 40 people running, you know, you could get you could technically get only like six percent if nobody else got higher than that. Right. Um, Right. So. The other thing that they're talking about doing is amending the recall process so that if the governor is recalled, the lieutenant governor automatically assumes office. And that way, you're not having this circus.
2: What I'm seeing here is I'm looking at the vote count, and it was higher than expected from Newsom, right? And it was similar, actually, to the votes he got in the general governor's election, about mm-hmm. seven in that, 7.7 million or so. And it beat most of the polls, right? Most of the polls were a little bit lower than that. Um, I think that's really interesting that when it really comes down to it, the vote is turned out again. And that's, that's really encouraging. I also think that the other thing I see is that Trump is, is really becoming a destructive force with no bounds, including his own efforts, right? In his own party. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's suppressing, the GOP vote at this point, which is great. More, let's, let's have more of that. I mean, but uh, the GOP is just going along with it because they are so stuck in this, in this, in this uh, reality of theirs at this point where they have to, they see Trump as this, is this powerful figure that's, that's uh, governing their, their, their whole party. Um, the other thing I think that's really interesting is how Newsom's stance on the pandemic ultimately helped him. I mean, it mm-hmm. was. It, it looked like it was hurting him for a while, but it really um, turned out that it was helping him. And I think the Delta variant uh, surge really w- woke up a lot of people. And California has a particularly high vaccination rate compared to most states. And certainly compared to, I mean, if you compare it to Texas, right? Texas is doing far worse in many ways in terms of its outcomes. Um, and the other thing is voters in California support a mandate. And that's what Newsom was all about. So uh, this, I think, also puts Newsom back as a potential national figure and a presidential candidate. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also if you look at
1: the scatter plot in in California of the number of hospitalizations versus vaccinations, and you you know you go at the right. very top is like San Francisco and 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 some of those counties up there, and then at the very bottom you've got some of the the heavily red counties, and it's just a straight line. I mean, it's it's very the the I clustering is
2: yeah yeah I mean I mean the vaccines are incredibly efficacious and we know this and uh, the data supports it and it's just a matter of uh, you know getting the message out as much as we can with with all the resistance there is to try to get the message out.
1: yeah. All right, well, let's move on now to some of the national politics, which is what we're hearing a lot now ramping up is these unhinged Joe Biden conspiracy theories. And I'm just going to read them off. They're, they're so preposterous. It reminds me so much of, of Obama, the Obama presidency and the way the Republicans just lost their shit. And so people are actually seriously saying on the right now that someone other than Biden is controlling policy and calling the shots. And some people think it's President Obama and uh, so that they also say that someone other than Biden is determining who gets called on in the White House press room. Uh, they also think that his that Biden is having his mic cut off by someone during press junkets. And this has been said repeatedly, like four times in a Senate hearing by another old white guy, Senator James E. Risch from Idaho. OK, um, Senator Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was visibly amused at the question on this clip that I saw. Uh, But the claim itself is just preposterous. I mean, and he repeated it four times. It's like uh, the the next one, of course, is that Biden is senile and getting worse. They've been saying that since before even the campaign. But, you know, these outlandish claims, they barely require comment. My only comment would be to compare this, you know, to, to what happened under Obama. And it's the same playbook. Obama was black. Biden is old. And you can draw your own conclusions as to why
2: Republicans won't stick to the issues. Right. Right. What I wonder is uh, where the limits of this absurdity lie, right? Because this really is absurd, right? The GOP has been thriving on this um, on this craziness, and it works for them, right? It works for their base, and it works for some people in the middle as well, unfortunately. And it keeps people wholly distracted from the true causes of their misery, right, or the true issues that we really need to deal with. Um, it creates a false sense of grievance that are then used for the, for to create the means of power for these people to maintain their controlling hierarchies that we've talked about so much on this show from the rich on down so the real question to me is how do we counter these bad faith strategies
0: (laughs) yeah i mean uh you know for me this whole culture of conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking um really in the modern era traces back to an event that we just saw the milestone of go by this past week, which is Mm -hmm. 9-11. I mean, of course, you have, you know, the JFK assassination and the moon landing, but they were a bit more fringe for a very long time. And I really feel that, you know, um, 9-11 is what what turned the tide culturally as far as um, the conspiracy stuff. So it's interesting to see what's going on now. I mean, I know Christoph has talked about, being low key obsessed with the Vietnam War right on the show before. Well, I'm kind of low key obsessed with the 9/11, and I don't I don't jump on board with all the hyper nationalistic crap like I don't care about that. I'm just talking about like as an event, I -hmm. find it immensely uh, immensely um, uh, fascinating and just I don't think there's a clear dividing line between old world and new. I don't think we'll see something like that in our lifetime. I don't think there'll be a single more cataclysmic event or day. I mean, obviously none of us know the future, but I don't, I mean, I don't know that we'll see something that so drastically shifts our culture and our world politics in just the matter of a few hours like that. Um, So it's just, it's just crazy stuff to think about to me. And it's just with the, with the anniversary uh, having just passed and with what we're seeing now in our country versus what we saw directly after nine 11 in terms of, the sense of unity and now the sense of division between people who understand science and understand the need for vaccines and like evidence when you're trying to make a case for something. Um, Yeah. and, and, And then these psychos who buy into conspiracy theories. So I think it all ties in.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, you mentioned that. I mean, the only event that I think would be worse, uh, more defining, is if like a nuke went off in an American yeah. city or multiple nukes. I mean, now yeah. that would be that would make nine eleven look like a, a picnic. But I, I think after any time you have an event like that, um, there's always a you know attempt by everybody to try to frame it. And what I find interesting is that the coalition of people who believe that nine eleven was staged or an inside job is about a third. And that is also almost exactly the same size as the Trump coalition. Right. Yeah. About only about a third of people actually really support the guy. Right. Um, <clears throat> so it's just, yeah, it's, it, it is, you know, we could, we could always find time to say more things about nine 11, but I want to move on to, to, uh, to another <laughs> event, which we just heard about this week, which is the pre-release of the Bob Woodward and Robert Costa book peril. Okay and that book comes out the 21st which I believe is the day after the show airs but the real kind of sizzle that 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 happened was the quote where general Mark Milley talked about deauthorizing the use of nuclear and conventional weapons by Trump after January 6th and this has just this is like a you know it's blown everybody's mind everybody is just freaking out about this and reacting terribly frankly to what was really a wise and patriotic action um we would hope that no general would follow a whacked out presidential order to to launch a strike say against china right which would result in massive damage to both countries so um Instead, General Milley calmly called his Chinese counterpart, whose name is General Li Zhou Cheng of the People's Liberation Army, to reassure him that the US was not about to start a war. <laughs> and they had like an hour conversation. And there's just all this batshit Republican rage over the incident. Like, how dare they you know, take away you know, civilian authority of Trump? The guy was insane. He was out of his mind, OK? And the same, kind, the same people, like Rand Paul, Marjorie Taylor Greene, are saying that uh, that Milley should be court-martialed? You don't court-martial the joint chiefs of staff. Okay. And um Trump is on there, you know, on Newsmax saying that General Milley should be arrested. Like, who's gonna fucking arrest you know the, the, the highest military official in our country? Um, but the whole thing is just pathetic. And another person who I would have expected more from was Colonel Vindemann. And Colonel Vindemann. He knows how crazy Trump is. I mean, look at the revenge plot that Vin- that uh, Trump took on on Vinderman and his brother. Okay, uh, after the first in- impeachment hearings, right? And now Vindman is kind of defending Trump and defending his civilian authority. And it's like he's you know <laughs> he's kind of a a perfect example of a career military man who doesn't understand the multispectral warfare that we're involved in right now, or that America is in a state of cold civil war and. We're no longer in this place where we could just kind of do everything by the book. Um, And and there's liberal hand-wringing on this, too, that we narrowly avoided this all-out war with China. It's crazy. There's no way that anyone was close to launching nukes. The system worked. And and I, I feel like what a lot of people don't realize is that the worst danger is when nations aren't not talking, right? The fact that the military brass were in constant communication means that there was almost zero chance of a war. and. I actually kind of find this whole story, uh, very reassuring, not that it happened, but that we do have some cooler heads in place, even when someone like Trump was in charge.
2: This is one example of how we can think about uh, post liberal philosophy and modes of strategies. This is not simply about personality. It's not about Trump. It's about systems and we should not focus just on people here. There are many issues at play, which all intersect this is militarism. There's the GOP propaganda movement. There's the institutional management of society. Then there's the whole geopolitics, um, you know, uh, landscape that we really want to focus on. We want what we want to avoid here is another reducto ad absurdum conversation that we see so much in the news. <laughs> these, and I would say the same thing about the Afghanistan issue. The Afghanistan. A crisis that we just went through we really need to start thinking about this stuff systemically and this is what uh, post-liberalism in part is about
1: yeah seeing the big picture uh was there anything you wanted to say about that drew
0: um you know i I, like you sean found this this story reassuring um you know it's 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 hard because on one hand you're thinking what are these people doing going along with this administration and retaining these positions and carrying out various things and whatnot. But then on the other hand, it's like you want someone kind of sane to hold these, these positions. So stuff like that doesn't have to happen. And, you know, Trump can't launch nukes at Rosie O'Donnell or whatever. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, like um, if, if there's a, if there is that. a fascist takeover, okay. And, and that, that is longer term, they would purge all such people. And you would get someone who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who would follow a crazy order from someone like Trump. And, um, by the way, I want to mention also that after this controversy broke, President Biden released a statement expressing complete confidence in General Milley. So his job is safe. Uh, And apparently also he's going to be speaking to Congress about his actions in the next few weeks. And, you know, you can only imagine what the Republicans are going to say to him. But uh, all right, well, enough about that. Let's move on to... Florida's continuing COVID compliance nightmare. Um, last week, Ron Governor Ron DeSantis is making an ass of himself again by threatening to fine local governments for compliance with federal vaccine mandates. And so, I mean, when you really think about this, it's hilarious. A governor who, number one, hates government, now using government to fine the government millions of dollars. I mean, it's just an ever-loving circus sideshow act.
2: I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think, you know, this is similar to what's happening that, that with the newsom uh issue the the uh what happened with the, this election here i think the the republicans are really starting to scare people like other than their own base they're really mm-hmm. acting kind of crazy and i think it's becoming more and more noticeable and even with this with this pandemic people just want the pandemic to be dealt with right they want to they want to move on and they and they're okay most people are okay with getting vaccinated and get wearing masks and so forth. You have the this core that isn't, but the majority is. And mm-hmm. even in Florida, I think that's probably true, right? And I and, and I think in the end, they're just they're really uh, going to undermine their power by continuing to do this. I mean, I could be wrong, but we I, hope. I re- <laughs> we hope, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really infuriating to see the behavior of someone like uh desantis who by the way is like apparently one of the top front runners for the republican nomination in 2024 like Mm -hmm. this evil motherfucker but it's hard to um it's hard for me to wrap my head around some of his actions me being a guy who as i've said before on the show is way more in favor of way more draconian measures regarding vaccines and masks and mandate than most Americans are like at this point, I'm pretty much on team, hold the fuckers down and jab them. Like, yeah. really,
1: like, I'm, <laughs> I'm
0: so fucking over it.
1: Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm right there. And, and it, you know, they can't get jobs, they can't go anywhere. Um, and if they get somebody sick, they get charged with manslaughter, right? I mean, like, come the fuck on people.
2: So yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you're right about the, the vaccinations and so forth. But I think the other point you made earlier, Sean, about the GOP being just tying itself up in ideological knots is really interesting. I think this question of, uh, of gov- government power, which they're always against, they're now using like crazy, is one of those knots. Uh, the other one is the stance on restructuring respecting private property Mm -hmm. and by extension the independence of corporate decision making right and so many corporations now are pursuing mandates for themselves like raytheon just announced this week Mm -hmm. um same with companies in a way similar to social justice standards right companies are abiding by social and the right is just (laughs) going crazy it's like well make up your fucking mind right yeah well corporate corporations are to the
1: are to the left of the republican party it used to be the other way around right
2: (laughs) right way to the left in some cases
1: yeah and and so that's and that's just it right like uh they they are constantly loving to rail against the tech companies i mean we have our own beasts with the tech companies but uh you know they are they a private company or are they not right (laughs) you know like so anyway okay well It's just ongoing and this isn't going to be resolved anytime soon. And I think that, you know, it's, it's right now, it's a question. We're going to get a DeSantis or, or a Pence or, you know, some, somebody, you know, in the, in the winning the primary, if Trump doesn't run, if he runs, he wins the primary. So that's, that's how this is going to go. If you, if, if I have anything to, you know, if, if I've ever been right about any prediction, that's, that one's pretty, pretty much of a no brainer.
2: Seems so. Agreed.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's move on now to a little bit uh, talking about culture because the next right-wing meltdown that happened this last week was about the Met Gala and specifically about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's dress that said, tax the rich. And it was awesome. I mean, it was an awesome dress. It was a a pitch-perfect message delivered right into the teeth of one of the nation's most exclusive celebrity events, a $35,000 per person event. and naturally everyone from all sides of the political spectrum came unglued including some other progressive groups that were mad that she stole attention from their own protest i hate that so much yeah right like yeah we we need to come together like the right doesn't yeah. do this no <laughs> they're in lockstep and meanwhile we're you know other progressives are bickering with aoc
0: yeah, yeah it's ridiculous at the, end of, at the end of the day the message is what matters
1: it is. It is. And, and you know, if they're a little, it, I, I don't know what it was. It was so. it was a fur protest. I don't know what it was. It was some other thing across the street that was going on and these people were upset. It's like, you know, you guys have YouTube like anybody else, you know, you can post your stuff. Right. Um, but of course the other thing was, is that conservatives are just lying about this. Uh, they were accusing AOC of hypocrisy because she always talks about the poor and the event cost $35,000. Well, She didn't pay that price. Her tickets were comped. And even if she had, okay, it is a platform for her to spread her message. Even if she had used campaign funds, okay, what she's doing there is she's speaking to the world and, and the message was heard loud and clear. And I think that's what really upsets them. But there's others, there's other stuff that happened there too. I mean, other people, you know, little nas x wore this outrageous outfit and he's just he is just his trolling level is so expert for the right and and i love it Um, yeah
0: he's you know his music isn't necessarily something that i'm gonna throw on when i'm in my car personally like i'm into like (laughs) punk rock and hardcore and metal and stuff but um i like him so much as an artist and as a human being i thought the Montero video was a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Um, I, I wish him all the best with this new record of his. Um, and yeah, his trolling and his clapbacks to right wing punditry and critique is just mwah, chef's kiss.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there were multiple other people too. Uh, we, Billie Eilish was seen in a way that we've never seen her before. I mean, she looks she looks very much like Marilyn Monroe, kind of a, a styling and. You know, but it wasn't just the dress, okay, because this was Oscar De La Renta, huge fashion designer, and she just said, I'm not going to wear your dress unless you permanently renounce the use of animal fur. And they did. And that's social change right there. I mean, right in front of our eyes, okay? Um, And then the, the, the one that I really want to talk about here, though, is Cara Delevingne, who wore what looked like kind of a white corset uh, by Christian Dior with the words peg the Patriarchy" on it, <laughs> which I find insanely hir- hilarious. Uh, apparently though, more left on left violence here. Uh, there's, there's now some controversy about this from a Canadian business owner whose name is Luna Matadas who coined the phrase peg the patriarchy several years ago and trademarked it in Canada for her BDSM clothing and sex toy company. But, you know, honestly, I couldn't give less of a fuck about her claim of appropriation because this gained global publicity. It's perfect and it's on the nose. And I'm just like, should the Christian Dior people have given her credit? Of course they should have. And now the internet is doing that anyway. She's getting the credit. And the whole mess, though, misses the larger point. No one controls language. Once someone coins a word or phrase and puts it out into the world, they lose all control over how that linguistic token or meme is used in the future, even if they trademark it in a given country. And this is especially true when that meme goes global, giving it broader impact. For a person to claim appropriation at that point means they basically care more about their own publicity than about the larger goals of social justice. It seems to me it's much more important to fight the patriarchy now and fight about your trademark later. And this is- it's another example, Joe, of what you're saying about, uh, you know, about, about post-liberalism. We always prioritize the greater good. Right. And, and for this purpose, the, the reason I think it's important is because peg the patriarchy is a perfect takedown and it's simultaneously an encapsulation of the male fragility and homophobia that holds the patriarchy together into its straitjacket of heteronormativity and vanilla missionary sex. And, you know? and it's funny. It's funny as hell. It's funny, yeah. It's a message that needs to resonate. And I have to say one more thing uh, about the Met Gala. And that concerns this awful, horrific Wall Street Journal pundit Peggy Noonan, who took the opportunity in her column to dismiss the Met Gala as a freak show. Because of course it is, right? Uh, Everything is a freak show to conservatives. And she wrote this column uh, sort of reflecting a little bit on what you said, Drew uh, that America was losing the thread and the thread that she was talking about was this post nine 11 unity. Right. But we all know all of the reasons why America has lost that thread. And in her column, she chalks it up to like, you know, these cultural issues and that's not the problem here. The problem is military industrial complex tax cuts for the wealthy money in politics. All of the things that have hamstrung our democracy and our ability to to find that unity so anyway i just had to get that in there uh though that- well said
0: yeah i mean it's uh it's interesting this kind of high level trolling um yeah you know i i i found yeah the aoc dress to be that was probably my favorite and <laughs> and i i have criticisms of her and the squad on occasion you know there are times when i disagree with them and that's okay um but man if it's between them and the gqp hell i'll take the squad
1: any day any day (laughs) oh yeah yeah i'd put them in charge tomorrow like those four they could just run it they could just run america no problem
2: you know it's funny guys i saw this meme on my facebook feed a couple days ago of like Somebody that sort of changed the dress and put instead of like, you know, tax to rich, they put uh, Trump won.
3: Right. <laughs> it was a
2: right wing meme. And I'm like, what the fuck is this doing on my feed? Right. And it was like a, a liberal friend of mine who decided to just say to tell him all oh, that wasn't a nice thing to do. I'm like, no, don't engage with it. Right. Don't don't engage with these people because all you're doing is spreading their message. I wouldn't have gotten even seen that meme if he hadn't done that right now and that's and that's one of the important things that we have to think about and really the real issue here is the class war that we mm-hmm. are under that the rich have been in waging against poor people and working people in this country for decades right and so is this the best we can do right this what this really this is why we need post-liberalism are right? we got to do better yeah well
1: you know <clears throat> these are all you wonder why people are angry they've been robbed okay 2008, something like, you know, $10 trillion were stolen out of the American economy. I mean, it's it, and it's happened repeatedly. Okay, every time there's a there's a collapse, every time there's a tax cut, every time there's a budget cut, um, it, it just hollows out the economy more, and it hurts the middle class, and people are enraged. And so they look right. for a scapegoat. Republicans give them a scapegoat.
2: Right. And we were being robbed in 2000. We were robbed of a presidency. We were robbed of two Supreme Court seats. I mean, come on, People.
1: All right. Well, Joe, you had some information to present to us today on the climate crisis, and I want to I wanna make sure we get that in. Sure.
2: Yeah, I'll be brief, but I do want to mention it because I think it's so critical. Uh, the goal of achieving net zero emissions, which we've all been told about, right, is further off than many of us thought, unfortunately. Two recent scientific undertakings have shown that the emission problem is far more extensive than reported, Uh, And so, for example, Climate Trace, a privately funded collaboration by Al Gore and several climate think tanks that utilize really cool technology, satellite data, machine learning, artificial intelligence to determine greenhouse gas emissions globally. Uh, And it aims to usher in an era of what what they call radical transparency, which is really critically needed, right? Mm -hmm. And um, to be able to inform to enforce these climate agreement, right? To to hold people accountable, to hold governments accountable and corporations accountable. And, um, you know, the UN wants actionable intelligence. And this is what this is all about, to track down these polluters. It has found that emissions are perhaps twice as bad as officially reported among the top emitting nations. That's just staggering. This helps explain, I think, why Despite the global emissions dropping by almost 7% because of the pandemic last year, the atmospheric carbon load went up by 2.5%, right? Insane. Insane. Another one is the Watchdog Climate Action uh, Tracker, CAT, that analyzed policies of 36 countries as well as the, uh, the European Union and found that all major economies, all of them, were off track to contain global warming, warming to 1.5 degrees C, above the pre-industrial levels. The countries together, these these powerful countries, these top countries, make up about 80% of the world's emissions, right? And they are off track. And uh, we think we will link these articles here on, on on the show notes so you guys can read them. But what do you, what do you think, guys? I mean, is, is there anything positive in all, any of this? I mean, what can we do? <laughs> you know, we
0: could just, do what we've been doing and scream it from the rooftops. I mean, it becomes harder and harder to ignore at a certain point. We saw recently the, the floods from the, from the storms in New York on the East coast and those images of the subways getting rained down upon and just flooded like something out of the Bible. Like it's crazy. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that eventually the science just kind of speaks for itself, but you know, is there a positive in it? i i don't know but i do think that eventually it becomes impossible to ignore
2: maybe maybe that's the positive
1: well we are not ready for this okay we are not ready for what's coming any more than we were ready for COVID. i mean it's and it's gonna hit everybody it's they're just gonna be like you know uh as these things occur And it's so funny how they're being normalized. Like even the storm damage is being normalized. And even the fact that they're, you know, Miami streets have six inches of water coming up from underground and things (laughs) like that. just, you're just like, oh, ho-hum, you know, uh, know, people who you thought immediately would probably move if something like that happened, they're like, no, I I read an article about a guy, he's jacking up his house four feet, right? That's the response. Not gonna move, you know, just gonna jack his house up four feet, right? So I've come to the conclusion Uh, probably a while ago that we are not going to have a governmental solution to this problem. And so therefore we're relying on the market to make this transition. And fortunately, solar and wind plus battery storage are cheaper, cheaper than anything cheaper. They're the cheapest source of energy. And fortunately, suddenly their companies are building factories that can pump out millions of electric cars. Okay. Last year, it's not much, it's not enough, but last year, uh, electric vehicles saved 500 million gallons of gasoline in the United States. Now, that's about 11 million barrels of oil, yeah. which is yeah. about one day's, you know, it's less than one day's consumption. But still, you got to start somewhere. And that is that is oil that will never be used again. Like, it's not just this year, it's next year. And next year, there'll be twice as many electric cars. The year after that, three times as many. So we're seeing that it start, we're starting to nibble away at it. It's not fast enough, but I think we have to look at the uh, political system as part of the planetary physics at this point, because we're not reacting well to this.
2: No, and what I struggle with as an educator, as a father, honestly, like, because my son is, is struggling with this, is, you know, according to a scientific survey I saw by Lancet Planetary Health, a really good reputable, you know, institution, Nearly half of all young people surveyed, uh, more than 45% said their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning, right, according to this study. So that's pretty powerful. I certainly see that in my own personal life, as I said, among my students, among my son, among other young people. Um, And this is significant. We young people are experiencing widespread, according to this study, psychological distress over government handling of looming climate crisis. Not about the climate crisis, but about how the government is failing to act. Mm -hmm. Right, And the mental health damage that climate uh, disasters, climate disruptions are, are causing are only going to get exponentially worse. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean...
0: That's all pretty accurate, you know. Um, I, I definitely feel some of that, you know, uh, uh, depression at times. Especially, I mean, the, the the combination of climate and COVID, yeah, it's depressing as hell. How can you not be depressed by it? Is what I what I'd be wondering. Um, but you know, it's it's difficult to look to the future and think. Oh, we're all spreading this, you know, horrible virus or all of the major cities on all the coastlines are going to be underwater. So what's the fucking point of anything? Right. Like it's really easy to fall into that kind of despair, I think, especially if you're a young sure. person looking at the next, you know, 70 years or whatever uh, of, of the scientific future of this planet. So uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. And for me, I've I've coped by delving more into my hobbies. But even that gets disrupted by this stuff through some of the issues with supply chains and production that we're seeing all across the world. And I think, Joe, uh, bef- before the, the taping, I think we were talking about maybe planning a, a future episode kind of based around that. Yeah. Um, so right. we'll have more to say about that. Um, but yeah, the the world's a sick, fucked up place right now. It's 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 understandable that young people would be depressed.
1: Yeah, I, I think I read a, a study that was talking about how about a third of young people think it's too late and there's no way to save the planet, which is this is ex- they're exactly where the fossil fuel industry wants them giving up hope because uh, they've been watching the, the watching their government fail them. OK, and, and and it makes perfect sense. And I saw this meme and a lot of people are posting very bitter, very apocalyptic memes right now. One of them I saw was uh, this is collapse. There's no it's not going to be, you know, things are just going to keep getting worse until it's over right? And there's not going to be any one catastrophic event. This is what collapse looks like. And that is the way a lot of young people are thinking right now. Yeah, it is. And it's terrible. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, okay. uh, I don't want to get too maudlin here because we do have a great guest segment coming up. And our guest is Doug Berger. He is the founder and host of the secular left podcast. He is also the host of the Glass City Humanist podcast and is the founder and president of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. He has been a member of the humanist community of Central Ohio since 1995, serving as its president from 2001 to 2002 and serving on the board of directors off and on from 1995 to 2014. He was the editor of the Central Ohio Humanist Newsletter from 2000 to 2007, which named him Humanist of the Year in 2013. He was the co-chair for the Secular Coalition for Ohio, a chapter of the Secular Coalition for America from 2013 to 2018. He is also an out and proud atheist. So without further delay, The Radical Secular presents Doug Berger. Welcome to the show, Doug. We are so glad you had us on your show, and we're very happy to return the favor. I'm glad to be here.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Doug. Thanks for being here, man. This is going to be real fun.
1: All right, well, let's start off with the t-shirts. We got to do it. Um, start with <laughs> you, Doug. What are you wearing? I am doing some self-promotion. <laughs> excellent, excellent. up for a little bit. Uh, the secular left podcast. And that's the one that Christoph and I were on. And we just replayed that a few weeks ago on the radical secular. And also you have another podcast, right?
4: Yes. I do an outreach for my humanist group. It's called glass city humanist hmm. and it's focused mainly on Toledo and Northwest Ohio and humanist issues, social justice issues.
1: Very good. And Ohio certainly needs that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Christoph, what do you got? What are you wearing?
3: Yeah, so, uh, today I'm rocking my, uh, crooked media. Uh, podcast by positive America shirt, which is a um crooked media production. Uh, and I always loved how they sort of repurposed that that sort of name. And I think fig- the crooked media label. Um, And I thought that was brilliant back then when they started it out. And so I thought that uh, given that we're talking about the media today and the so called left wing media, um, mm-hmm. which will challenge that concept, I think a little bit today. Um, uh, I figured I might as well wear the shirt.
1: Very cool. Well, today I already went over this in the opening segment, but I'm just going to show you guys again briefly. This is a Ming the Merciless t-shirt. Oh, cool. cool. Absolutely nothing to do with politics, but it's a—it's like I was going for the most obscure Star Trek reference ever because this is the villain <laughs> in Flash Gordon, OK? And Flash Gordon was the inspiration for the Captain Proton holodeck program from Star Trek Voyager. So uh-huh, it's uh-huh. all
3: a big circle. <laughs> uh-huh. Nice, nice. And we got to mention Star Trek obviously comes up in every episode somewhat practically every single episode, we mentioned Star Trek one way or another. So
1: we always do. <laughs> All right, well, let's get down to business today. Doug, we're going to talk to you about both sidesism in the liberal media. And I know you have some strong opinions on this, but at first, I kind of oh, yeah. want to set the tone for <laughs> where we're coming coming from. All of us here at the Radical Secular are strong supporters of the Democratic Party. Obama Democrats, as Christoph says, but that's not the same thing as saying that we fully embrace the approach of liberal media. We all, of course, read The New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Miami Herald, San Francisco Chronicle, all the other papers of record. And if we watch TV news, it's going to be CNN or MSNBC or ABC or CBS. And those are indeed all the best sources. But it's also near universal in liberal circles to direct our daily two minutes hate towards Fox News (laughs) and its various right wing copycats and surrogates like Newsmax and OAN, et cetera, Breitbart, it goes on and on. Uh, Gateway Pundit. Uh, Mm -hmm. I certainly agree that these outlets have done tremendous damage to our country and that that damage is increasing every day. But I don't think we spend enough time talking about how much damage is also done by what we would normally consider to be friendly, fact based liberal news sources. I can think of a lot of examples. One from this week (laughs) comes to mind immediately. CNN ran an editorial on its front page with the headline Biden is not living up to his promises. And the article proceeds to claim that Biden has broken his promises on COVID and is governing like Trump, a reference to Biden's executive <laughs> orders. Now, the whole claim is obviously just preposterous unless you consider the source. The author of the editorial was Scott Jennings, a CNN contributor and Republican campaign advisor who is a former special assistant to President George W. Bush and a former campaign advisor to Senator Mitch McConnell. So what the hell's going on here? We have Fox News for people like that. Why does CNN have to do this? So this sets up my very first question for you, Doug. Uh, is a liberal news outlet like CNN obligated to print opposing views? Is this considered both sidesism, or is this them just being a responsible journalistic platform?
4: Well, if you listen to CNN, they are trying to be a objective journalistic outlet. Um, they are not obligated to uh, tell to give both sides of a story or multiple sides because usually there's multiple sides Mm -hmm. um, because they are not a broadcaster. They don't have a license from the FCC. It's a cable channel. It's a private company. They can put on whatever they want. They want ratings. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) they like the game. They like the battle, the drama, whether they have to manufacture it or not. So that's why you see a lot of these outlets like uh, CNN and even MSNBC, they hire these people that are not technically liberal mm-hmm. they may have worked with the obama administration or with hillary clinton but they are middle of the road and they tisk tisk uh more liberal people like uh aoc and 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 the squad in the in the house of representatives and so they're not so to answer your question cnn, CNN is not obligated to give both sides they claim that they do, but they really – actually, they don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, but my question – just to follow up on that a little bit, uh, do you think that – I mean, are there two sides? Like, is there a reason to give these Republican hacks uh, a platform at all?
4: Hmm. Yeah, I, I would think it, it would depend on, the, on something. If you're talking about policy, like implementing public policy, there can be two sides to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. there is not two sides to evidence and data <laughs> and so if you're basing your policy on false evidence and data then then your view of that policy is wrong and it should be noted that it's wrong but you hardly ever see that on cable mm-hmm. cha- on the cable channels or in the washington post or the new york times you know they always give the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. to, to yeah the, to the other side
3: yeah, I you know, uh great points all around guys. I I I am there's a couple of things that popped into my head. Uh first of all that especially during the Bush administration, the the second Bush administration and and Sean, you and I talk about this a lot online and we've talked about it in general. That was when you really saw Fox News hitting its stride, right? Like yep. that was that their peak, right? They were they had some at that point found this balance between saying like genuinely like lying right and mm-hmm. outrageous stuff and 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 remain and retaining the veneer of legitimacy and they had found that balance and for the entire that entire time the carl rove era right they were unbelievably effective and what you saw then were outlets like cnn and of course msnbc trying to out fox fox right so and mm-hmm. that's when you said like right and like they because fox was i mean that kind of journalism, that kind of opinion stuff that Fox was doing, it's like crack, right? I mean, watching people go after each other, hearing an echo chamber of things you already want to hear, like they really did a great job on that. And so, you know, I really think that you saw a real change in those networks as they tried to over that over that era, as they tried to um, sort of compete with Fox. And a lot of that did come along and also throw off the the uh, crooked media liberal bias Mm-hmm. Sort of a uh, name that was thrown on them by the right, so that so by and so they gave the platform to some of these other people. Um, and one thing I wanted to comment on as well, and I is that you talked about how uh, that in terms of uh, sort of uh, that some the data is not is uncontroversial right like we that that sort of thing is uh, is not on the table for like oh yeah let's give this both sides because there's only one side to that and i think that's right and i think also that since the trump era and this is one of the very i always look at the silver lining right um obama democrat um <laughs> um is is that trump made it okay to call a politician a liar Right. Before that, it was always like he was like they, they would say they would have different ways and euphemisms to talk about someone not telling the truth. But now you have people, at least on the liberal media side, to saying the, the, the president falsely claims that mm-hmm. X, Y and Z. That is new. Right. That is like a post Trump era thing. Um, and I think that's notable as well. Whether where that fits in this conversation, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, I think is notable.
1: Well, yeah, and it's like you both have mentioned, Okay, uh, a a lot of these liberal media outlets felt that they needed a token conservative yes, and they felt that they needed to address the sort of right wing bad faith argument that, you know, what was because, you know, what we're talking about here, these papers of record and the, the big three networks and CNN, that was the media. There was no other media. That's just the media. Right. And and all of a sudden now, when Fox News got its start, they started accusing them of being, okay. you're the liberal media. As a way of discrediting, so then the liberal media is pushing back and saying, "Okay, no, we got Megan McCain on the View, we got Joe Scarborough, uh, you know, we've got <laughs> New York Times mm-hmm. has Brett Stevens, you know, who came from the Wall Street Journal." It just goes on and on. There's, there's like they're, they're just seated now out everywhere. All these right wingers, to, to sort of give these liberal outlets uh, uh, some kind of ability to push back, and um, I just you know there, Rick Santorum is another horrible example. Mm-hmm. I mean, he left mm-hmm. CNN. May of 2021 he made outrageous and dismissive statements about Native American culture but that dude has been saying horrible things for <laughs> decades i mean he's his anti-gay yeah. stuff his you know so we know conservatives are going to say this stuff cnn knows ahead of time that he's going to say this stuff and he'd been giving cnn a black eye with his you know horrible rhetoric for years counterfactual right-wing guff you know on a daily basis and he's not even remotely the worst offender so um I wanted to ask you another question though doug can you give us a couple of the worst examples of what you've observed as this both sidesism in the liberal media who are the worst offenders in your view
4: hmm. the worst offenders well it would it would i it would have to be the national uh, media television media in general hmm. it's the worst offenders um, a lot of times, the conservatives over at Fox they drive the news cycle.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So you'll have somebody during their daytime hours say, "Some say President Biden is a creep." <laughs> then you'll have their then, then they'll have they'll, their evening pundits, and they're all pundits. They're they're not news people in the, in the evening, right? They'll mm-hmm. echo, "Well, we had this report on Fox today that somebody said that Biden is a creep." <laughs> and then it really is like that right and then the next day uh cbs news will have a report the guy talking at the white house well we wanted to talk to the president why are you a creep right
1: and yeah this like, kind of stuff
4: what
3: <laughs> how did we get here <laughs>
1: When did you stop raping your daughter?
3: You know, it's basically right, like right, 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 right. <laughs> that's, that, that's what comes out the other end of like, right? the telephone game, right? <laughs> one guy said, oh, one pundit someplace said, hmm, I wonder if uh, you know Joe Biden is a creep. And at the other end, Joe, Joe Biden may or may not be raping children, drinking blood, etc. As <laughs> et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera you know. <laughs> right. And so they all fall
4: over themselves to cover a non-story because they don't want to be labeled as liberal media. It's true even though it's a piece of crap. And and the reason why it gets so much traction is because they're all on social media and the social media just amplifies it Mm -hmm. because everybody shares it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And so you have these reporters and, and network people that are watching it and they're like, Oh, that's a story. And it's like, no, it's not.
1: Right. Well, and this just all happened uh, because I, you know, it wasn't that long ago before there was a Fox News, and when CNN was the media, like every you know, if you if you want to know what was going on, you turn on CNN. Done, you know. And before that, it was it was the big three, uh, uh, with you know, you're watching Peter Jennings, or you're watching Dan Rather, or you're watching, uh, you know, I mean, it depends on how far back you go. Tom Brokaw, Walter Cronkite, um, Howard K. Smith, you know, like all those guys, right? David I mean, Brinkley. David, yeah, you know, and these this is like just the news, and I think this what the right wing has done is has is it's hard to describe the damage and for people especially who aren't old enough to remember when there was a shared truth in this country yeah Yeah, there there was there was journalistic
4: ethics Mm -hmm. and when you did a research i my background in college i took journalism in college and basically you had to get your sources they were telling you a story. You had to verify that story. So you had to get other sources that weren't related to that pre previous thing. And if you got that, then you went with the story. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody called you up and said, hey, Biden's creepy, you didn't go and say and type in your typewriter, Biden's creepy, because right. the editor would fire you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And that's yeah. all gone now. It's all about ratings. It's all about entertainment and right. drama
3: what do you if if, what do you guys think about this i just was jotting this down as we were talking um and i wonder if you think that my my logic here is correct so right so and we're we're going to talk a little bit. Well, maybe I should save this this actually for the FCC discussion. Actually, you know what? I'll I'll save it for that because I think that's important. Um, and I'll think it'll connect better there. I will say this though. I think in terms of who both sides thinks are the worst in in the quote liberal media, if I had to guess, I would go with New York Times. And I think that the New York Times is is. The, the, and w- then i think the biggest problem with the new york times version of that is the new york times retains certainly among liberals but still i think among most people, this era of legitimacy is the oldest the gray lady It's one of the classic ones and so when they give a platform to a to a um to an asshole or they amplify a bad story, I think it can be particularly toxic. I mean when I think of the Washington Post now, especially since Bezos took over it for me yeah. it's good like it right it's like it's changed a little bit. Um, it sort of in my mind although not like for for real for real but it, it sort of takes it down a notch in my in my mind for some reason I don't think that's really fair but sort of but I think that's my emotional reaction to it mm-hmm. The times though uh is, is it's much more a centrist organization in general but I do think that they 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 give platforms to uh to to people who or ideas ideas they give legitimacy to ideas that are that are that are baseless and that are dangerous so i think that is my my gut reaction to that question yeah, there's no question about it, and
1: I, I was just thinking as you were talking again. I mean, just the uh, Brett Stevens is particularly egregious, and the New York mm-hmm. Times also had her- hired Barry Weiss, but um, mm-hmm. and 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 Brett Stevens though is a climate denier. I mean, just flat out. And he came from the Wall Street Journal, and and he's a Pulitzer Prize winning guy, and right. So it's like he has a lot of credibility. The New York Times gives him even more credibility, and then he pushes this bullshit.
3: Right. Yeah. So
1: it's no, it's a problem. Well, I wanted to, uh, I'll, I'll read this section here about the fairness doctrine, because that is what has changed. That is the main mm-hmm. thing that changed. And I want to preface it by saying though, that the fairness doctrine only applied to broadcast media. As you mentioned earlier, Doug, I mean, CNN's cable, they don't have, they wouldn't have had to comply with it anyway, neither would Fox. So every, all these liberals who are constantly running around saying, bring back the fairness doctrine, <laughs> it's irrelevant. But let's just talk about what it did here. I want to read from Wikipedia, quote, the Fairness Doctrine of the United States Federal Communications Commission introduced in 1949 was a policy that required the holders of broadcast licenses both to present controversial issues of public importance and to do so in a manner that was honest, equitable, and balanced. The FCC eliminated the policy in 1987 and removed the rule that implemented the policy from the Federal Register in August 2011. The Fairness Doctrine had two basic elements, It required broadcasters to devote some of their airtime to discussing controversial matters of public interest and to air contrasting views regarding those matters. Stations were given wide latitude as to how to provide contrasting views. It could be done through news segments, public affairs shows, or editorials. The doctrine did not require equal time for opposing views, but required that contrasting viewpoints be presented. The demise of this FCC rule has been considered by some to be a contributing factor for the rising level of party polarization in the United States. The fairness doctrine is not the same as the equal time rule, which is still in place. The fairness doctrine deals with the discussion of controversial issues while the equal time rule deals only with political candidates. So this brings me to my next question for you, Doug. Do you think that the both sides in the liberal media results from those media outlets still trying to cling to the fairness doctrine, even though the other side doesn't? Is this even a question of fairness or is it more cynical than that? Just a desire to cast a broader net for conservative viewers? Um.
4: Yes. <laughs> um, no. I. <laughs> I think. I think it is the the media's attempt to be balanced. Wrongly, they do it wrong, mm-hmm. but they are attempting to be balanced and to appeal to a wider audience, who think that they're just a liberal biased media, and that's why they keep doing it wrong because they keep playing into that same game of letting Fox News drive the, the news cycle. Yeah. What's the solution? Uh, personally, I would like to see a return of the Fairness Doctrine, and I think it should apply to everybody, broadcasters and cable. If, if you consider yourself a news channel and you disseminate news, mm. it should apply to you. And it should apply to you because your um, bullhorn overrides a lot of background noise. So people get a lot of their news from cable, from newspapers, from the broadcasters, over, you know, and the stuff that's shared on social media. Now, one of the reasons that they gave for doing away with the Fairness Doctrine in 87 was that there was more outlets available for these controversial topics. (laughs) They didn't take into consideration that conservative radio would take over radio and Mm -hmm. and a lot of the broadcast, the TV broadcasters. And so, and plus you have all these media, six media companies own like 90% of the news outlets in the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't take that into consideration and so I think it should be because it's for the common good that they should be forced to discuss topics, controversial topics, and provide actually both sides of that topic.
1: Yeah. And wasn't there another rule? uh, ownership rules where you could only have a TV station in, I think I it was two or three cities. Each entity could only have a, you know, in two or three major metropolitan areas. I don't, oh, I'm not familiar with the name of that, but I believe neither. that was also done away with.
4: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know the, the exact details, but it was like one or two TV stations. And if you had a newspaper, you could only have a radio station or something mm-hmm. like that because they, because back then they realized that, you could monopolize the airwaves mm-hmm. and and be um, overpower everybody else, everybody else's speech.
3: Yeah, one of the themes that I've been. Uh, I, I one of the ideas that i've been banging around my head for the last couple months uh, is this just basic statement capitalism poisons everything and that is obviously a reference uh to to chris to christopher to, to hitch right um, right i'm thinking mm-hmm. of the same guy right like right uh, that religion poisons everything and i think um for uh, frankly for similar reasons um <laughs> uh, <laughs> capitalism poisons everything but um i say that because and this was my point i was going to say before is that you when you privatize the news, the entire news system, right, you privatize that um, and and sort of and and that's right. This is capitalism. Capitalism by its goal, right? A capitalist goal is to monopolize the entire uh, field, right? That is that is the job mm-hmm. that if of the capitalist, right? Um, a, a monopoly is the is the ultimate goal theoretically of the capitalist, right? So um, when you need to control people and if you, need to, if you need that, means you need ratings. If you want, if you need ratings, you need to control people. If you want to control people, you go to their emotions, right? If you want to go to the, that's how you control people is is through emotional bonds, right? You bypass reason. That is how you control people, right? Um, it, that is if you can't physically dominate them, if, right? And so this, right, this, is why propaganda is so effective, etc. And so that means, and political issues well, hot button issues get people emotional. Um, hot button issues are political issues, right? So then you end up with, it seems to me that if you start with privatizing the news, you end with where we are now. I, I don't see how you don't get here. Yeah. What, what are you saying, Sean? Go ahead. Well, OK, so there's two things,
1: right? There's, there's, there's the agenda of the wealthy and advertisers, corporate mm-hmm. agenda. And then there's also telling people what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. And this is a really good segue because this next section I want to talk about. I have a longtime friend on Facebook who Ah, is a a former politician in the state of Maine. You know who he is. I'm not going to mention his name because he's sensitive about that. Um, But he claims that it's impossible for any ad supported media to effectively hold people accountable under the capitalist system. And the reason he gives is because those newspapers, TV, and radio stations ultimately need to keep advertisers happy, which is obvious. Um, but furthermore, he's talked to me about the problems of private media ownership, in which wealthy media owners can steer narratives away from exploring any uncomfortable areas. For example, Washington Post recently ran an editorial against the wealth tax. Well, I wonder why, right? <laughs> um, so they can easily push any destructive counter narrative Uh, against progress, as we've seen in spades in recent years. And this is I mean, this is the huge matter of record in history. Uh, We have a plethora of infamous examples of right wing media ownership from Rupert Murdoch uh, to 20th century examples like William Randolph Hearst and Henry Ford, who was a known fascist and published the Dearborn Independent. okay, which was an early 20th century newspaper that got sued out of existence for its blatant anti-Semitism. We know that billionaires Robert and Rebecca Mercer initially funded Breitbart News and, you know, got Steve Bannon launched into the White House, you know, and were even involved in starting the social network parlor. And so there are hundreds of examples of right wingers who are controlling the narrative. And that brings me to my next question for you, Doug, which is given the fact that anyone with enough money can set up shop, call themselves a news organization and start publishing. Is it possible to ever expect fair news coverage under the capitalist system? And if so, how?
3: Hmm.
4: I don't think under the capitalist model, you're not going to get fair news coverage Um, because of the capitalist model. You've had the massive consolidation that's taken place, uh, especially newspapers. Um, And so many communities only have one newspaper and it's, uh, for example, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, uh, USA Today bought the Columbus Dispatch Mm. Um, here in Toledo, it's still independently owned, but they only print two days a week. The rest of it's online.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: And so if they want to make money off of it, which is the goal of having a newspaper, they can't do it under the capitalist model. It's just, it's not, you can't do it, especially with the internet. You know, everybody wants everything for free mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and they, can, that's a great and they point. can get news wherever they, you know, they can. So it really leaves newspapers out. But I think for news media in general, I think you can really go with a public support route
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: And, and it would have to be regionalized or localized more so than national
3: sure you know uh one thing that you said earlier sean that i keep coming back to is this idea of uh the importance of a shared truth right like that is or the lack of one and when we don't have that right this is we like we can't function as a democracy and let alone move forward in terms of scientific discovery or whatever else and so i love the public access idea it seems to me that that is such a public good i mean right we or even something right like our the way we deal with utilities, right? It's like it's heavily regulated. So yeah, it might be a private organization, but it's like extremely heavily regulated. And so because we realize that this is something that we cannot do without, right? Um people cannot and I think that we need to we need to as a culture, as a country, put a shared basic truth as as one of those public goods and, and and I think that like you say removing the cap of the sort of profit motive in the out of it is the only way even if it's just an alternative right like right mm-hmm. maybe there still are private things right sort of like the public option right and then people yeah. can say like there is a baseline though if you want to go have your yahoo crazy news go for that but there is a baseline well it's interesting because if you actually look
1: at it though we see the system is broken but there's a lot of very powerful interests mm-hmm. who like it just fine the way it is. They like being able to steer <laughs> the news. They like being able to sneer at and mock and attack Democrats just like just like routinely. Like they have a machine right now, a smear machine. Anything a Democrat says, uh, you know, the, the social media comments are going to be vile. Just hundreds of co- vile comments. You know, um, the the talk shows. It's just. Tweets. I mean, everything is just a shitstorm. Anytime anyone tries to do something good, and the same would be true, by the way, uh, regarding any attempt to reform the media.
4: They oh, would just yes. consider it.
1: Oh, oh this God. is a power grab by elites. You know, you're 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 trying to shut down. You're you're trying to silence right wing voices. You know, just like what they're doing now with social media companies. Social mm-hmm. media companies are extremely. Um, right wing and 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 it's been proven over and over again by the surveys of who gets page views who gets shares who has to comply who gets put in jail all that kind of stuff those statistics are very very heavily slanted facebook is like two-thirds right wing Mm -hmm. and i don't know what it is for twitter or whatever but um it's just it's kind of a a, like we can theorize about how to solve the problem but there's there's a lot of powerful interests that like it just fine the way it is and they just they just want to throw even more mud and so this de-evolution, okay, starting with AM Talk Radio that we've mentioned and the launch of Fox News in 96, the explosion of internet news that began to take shape kind of after around mid-90s. No one really understood the significance of what was happening and that we would end up here. You know, if, if you were some someone who just watched the news, you could consider yourself fairly well-informed. And maybe You know, maybe a, a, in addition to the big three, you might watch PBS. Um, <laughs> there was no alternative... Right-wing ecosystem that was a free-for-all, right? I mean, that's just like that just didn't exist. And now people pick the news that fits their narratives. Like if you tried to jerk this needle out of their arm, they would fight you like a like a fucking drowning person. They want to be self-selected into tribes, and those tribes inhabit completely different realities. So um, here's my question, though: Is it a mistake maybe to think of the news media as divided into liberal and conservative outlets? And knowing what we know about both foreign and domestic actors who are trying to spread this propaganda. Do you think, Doug, that there is any way that we could have built the internet mm-hmm. without also building this polarization into the system? Was the media circus inevitable in your view?
4: Um, yeah, well, I, I think it was inevitable because we have a long history of it. Um, if you look back in your history, uh, newspapers used to smear John Adams, <laughs> President John Adams during the election, you know, and then you had the yellow journalism of Hearst
1: mm-hmm.
4: and, um, and you, and you could go to the history of many towns and cities and they would have like our town Finley, where I'm from, we had uh, the Finley Democrat and the Finley Republican mm-hmm. newspapers. Oh, really? So, Too right, separate. Two separate. <laughs> two right. separate. And they, they supported one side or the other. Uh, but at least you knew that that's what they did. <laughs> all right. So then I'm not really sure on my history on when this started molding and melding together. Uh, but if you're going to have a business or have a news channel or something where you're basing it on being objective and presenting all sides to a story, then you need to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and if not, you need to let us know that you're not going to do that. Um, to add to what Sean was talking about with the fair, you know, return to the fairness doctrine, I would really strongly advocate having a disclaimer that you would have to display a disclaimer wherever at the beginning of the program or after each commercial break that the views expressed on this program are the people on this program,
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know, and if you want more information, You know go to this website and they would have to maintain a website with the pros and cons of whatever it is they're talking about that that's what i would that's what i would say
1: i'd love to see that too and I, i
3: but i mean christoph what do you think i mean i think the republicans would just howl
1: Mm-hmm.
4: yeah
3: oh absolutely i mean for, for for the reasons why you said before right there is there is there is every reason to control the narrative especially when the fa- when you, the objective facts aren't on your side right so for example climate change for example uh you know uh trickle down economics for example um race racism and every sort of identity-based issue they're wrong on the facts right um they're they are consistently that way and it doesn't and, I, and you know i don't i'm not saying that conservatives don't never have good ideas i'm not saying that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying that certainly in the way that the way that um they are losing every single battle culturally the way that it's set up right now the system that they've set up right now is losing every single battle culturally so um you know that is why, so there's no good reason for them to change anything. In fact, there's every every reason to double down. And we see that every time we think this is gonna be it, right? After the Obama years, they're mm-hmm. like, or, uh, you know, they're gonna, during the Obama years, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna after Obama won the first time, that is, oh, they're gonna do some self-reflection. You'll see, <laughs> absolutely not, they doubled down. After Trump literally tried to, uh, you know, tried the literal insurrection, and they've doubled down. Like, right, so there is, so there's no reason to think that, If they, if if that, if any, there's no reason to think they'll change unless they are absolutely forced. And I think that is, that is where we are. And to get back to the, uh, the, 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 the sort of main thrust of the question is, you know, um. We are in the wild west of the internet, right? Like for us, we're living through it. So it seems like the internet's been around a long time. It hasn't been though, right? It's mm-hmm. so we are living in a like a brand new technology has been thrown into the lap of uh, of of the world and Americans, and it is the most one of the most powerful technologies ever, if not, uh, I mean, arguably the most, but certainly one of them. And um, we haven't figured out how to deal with it yet. We haven't no. figured it out, and so I think as long as we don't, I am optimistic that as long as we don't destroy Ourselves first, and that's a big if. I mean, a real big if. But as long as we don't destroy ourselves for first, that will we, we will humanity will work it out. Maybe only five hundred of us left, but somebody will figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really interesting if I go back to what you
1: said, Doug, about there being a longer history of this, and you know, we don't often think about that. But I, I, I just brought to mind. Um, something I remembered from looking up at the article of the Wilmington insurrection massacre uh, of 1898. Okay. What's the picture that we all see of that event? It is this militia standing uh, outside of a burned newspaper. Okay. So, so this, this, these attacks back and forth on, you know, media going, uh, it it was a part of our entire civil war that's been going on in this country from the very beginning. And like you said, the cartoons, the political cartoons about John Adams or even Lincoln, I mean, Lincoln, they, they portrayed him as an ape okay so Mm. like this has been a vicious battle that's been going on and when you see the fact that they burned this black owned newspaper you know in wilmington you know this is it's it's par for the course and here we are 123 (laughs) years later and we're talking about the same thing um but like i said what's different about it though is back then they didn't try to hide it
4: (laughs) you know you knew (laughs) that they supported somebody or or was against something Uh, in an editorial uh, 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 uh. And nowadays, they, like I said, they try to give that air of uh, well, we're objective uh, journalists. And
3: do you you guys know how? Right, and please correct me if I'm wrong. If you guys know about this, but from what I remember, in terms of, uh, I think at, at least maybe the UK is that they do have more of a model where it's like this news outlet is just liberal. Right. This Mm -hmm. outlet is just conservative. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I kind of think that I kind of believe that that's true. I'll have to look into it. Um, But I think that is an interesting, at least like you say, Doug, it just let's just get it out there. Right. We're not going to try to pretend that we're something that we're not. I mean, maybe there's some maybe there's some value in that in that model. I don't know.
4: And they also the British also have a uh, complaint department Hmm. that if you see something in the media, Mm then you think is a lie or misinformation you can complain to the government i think it's a government agency and then they can find the media that if they find out that it was false they can find the media wow but but you would never see yeah. that here because of the first amendment there's
1: right. so much good regulation mm-hmm. and i was just this is a story that i uh just saw in the last day or so there's a hard right dude named eric Zamour. And he's uh, in France, and he had to quit TV because uh, it's being rumored that he's going to run for office, and they don't allow politicians on the air. So there's like they they enforce some of these boundaries, uh, you know, financial uh, disclosures and and you know political disclosures. It's a lot better, and and you know this is we've actually had shows where we've talked about the the First Amendment and what it, what an issue it is, and I don't I don't think we have time to get too deeply into that today. I'd love to have another conversation about it though, because um, it seems like a lot of other countries are way ahead of us in this. Yeah. But <clears throat> Doug, I don't know if you ever watched the Showtime miniseries about Roger Ailes, uh, who was the president of Fox news up until a few years ago, the, it was called the loudest voice. Did you ever see that?
4: I have not watched the program, but I am familiar with Roger Ailes.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, the loudest voice, it it just really goes into the backstory of it. And it was supposed to be pretty factual. And it kind of revealed that Fox News was uh, what we all knew, that was intimately involved in the election of George W. Bush, of trying to sabotage Obama's presidency and ultimately in the rise of Donald Trump. So now, of course, after Trump, Fox News has turned into this full-on insurrectionist anti-vax anti-american basically a treason network and (laughs) you know i mentioned this earlier about how we all love to hate them and what it's done to america and i think it's well deserved but i also think that this obscures a larger story and that is that because of the attempts at faux fairness that we've seen in the liberal media they also fall heavily into right-wing framing and so Mm -hmm. This is a question I have about uh, the rise of Donald Trump and looking back to 2015 and this super improbable rise of this, you know, crazy dude to the American presidency, how much of a role did the liberal media play in legitimizing what appeared to a lot of people at first to be a joke candidacy?
4: Yeah, I I think, again, it was all about the the pseudo-drama and the entertainment factor,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, because
4: here was this reality star, uh, supposed good businessman, which we found out was a, a lie. And he was running for president. And it was, ah, ha, ha, he's running for president. And they gave him so much free airtime that it became how uh, that uh, prophecy, uh, revealed prophecy or something like that. You mm-hmm. you know, you, yeah. you prophesize it's going to happen, and then you do it, and it happens. For mm-hmm. sure. And that's what happened. And, and they were at fault because they they're insiders they're part of that uh uh, dc culture and they mocked him and thought he was didn't have a chance and they totally did not see the populist uprising that ended up getting him elected plus some election
1: shenanigans but that's a different story (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) how did you see that story christoph
3: yeah yeah so i think I think that's a really. I think the question's really good, and I and as I think about this, I do think the media had certainly had a role to play. I wonder because and and I and and this goes back to my what I keep saying is a capitalism poisons poisons everything, right? If it bleeds, it leads, and Trump was absolutely bleed the blood, right? Like I mean, he Just was the carnage. Con, carnage, right? I mean, uh, and and afterward, <laughs> afterward, like actual carnage, right? All these six hundred thousand. Uh, death, uh, COVID deaths later. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not putting those all in his head, but you get my point. Um, so I do think that that's a problem. I also, but I, but on the other hand, it's like they can't not cover him right so it's like what do we expect them to do i mean exactly you know what i'm saying like what do we expect them to do i mean just pretend like that's not that fucking shit show out there isn't happening i mean it is happening right but what i do think though and this gets what i was saying earlier is that what they and they didn't do this in the beginning they didn't do it until well into his presidency and that is call a lie a lie right like they should have been doing that with candidate Trump too they should have been doing that with candidate Trump too and fine if they wanted to do that with um with the with with Hillary Clinton fine do that with Hillary Clinton as well because I'm much she, she's much less likely to be lying you know right so right. Um, <laughs> much less likely to be lying but uh but call a lie a lie so it's tough it's a tough one
4: but the the thing also too that you need to remember is political speech you can't say that it's lying mm, if you can't okay. Uh, right. You know, you can't go to court for somebody I mean, making a political speech
3: that's lying, even though it's lying, you
4: know,
3: it's still protected by the First Amendment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no obligation to not lie. There really, really isn't. But there's also no rule against the media saying. That's mm. a fucking lie, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's right, you can, you can push back.
1: But there also, I think there there should be, there's got to be a way to enforce uh, standards against false advertising, right? And, mm. and this is, OK, because I want to go back to something else that really bothered me, still bothers me, about how the liberal media has covered and is covering Donald Trump. And there's really no other way to describe this than just full bore enabling. I mean, they Mm. literally handed this to him on a silver platter. So I want to read you now a brief excerpt from the debate between Donald Trump and Secretary Clinton that took place in Las Vegas on October 19th, 2016, barely two weeks before the election. Here we go. Quote, Chris Wallace, Mr. Trump, I want to ask you about one last question in this topic. You have been warning at rallies recently that this election is rigged and that Hillary Clinton is in the process of trying to steal it from you. Your running mate, Governor Pence, pledged on Sunday that he and you, his words, will absolutely accept the result of this election. Today, your daughter, Ivanka, said the same thing. I want to ask you here on the stage tonight, do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir, that you will absolutely accept the result of this election? Trump says, I will look at it at the time. I'm not looking at anything now. I will look at it at the time. End quote. Okay, so This is infuriating. In a democracy, the only correct answer to that question by Donald Trump is, of course, (laughs) I'll accept the election result. Saying I will look at it at the time as Trump did is signaling that he considers himself above the electoral process and the media bought it. Okay, it's an open statement of fascist intent that a candidate would refuse to accept election results. And yet everyone, everyone across the board. All the way up to the New York Times. Let him get away with this. And now I know Chris Wallace works for Fox, but plenty of CNN, ABC, CBS reporters also repeatedly asked Trump this question throughout the 2016 campaign, throughout his presidency and during and after the 2020 campaign. People are still playing into this trap, even in the California recall election, which is taking place right now today as we speak, by the way, by asking Republican officials if Larry Elder will concede if he loses. Are people nuts? I mean, the loser always has to concede. It's not a question. So my question for you, though, Doug, is uh, how much of a role do you think the liberal press played in Donald Trump's ultimate decision to refuse to accept the 2020 election results and to cling to his narrative of election fraud?
4: Yeah, they, they played into it very well, um, you know, because they did not hold him to account. Um, you know, he's a, he's a businessman, so, so-called businessman who is used to getting his way in everything that he does and politics, at least. The way we envision it, it doesn't work that way. You know, there's certain things that you, you do. And if you lose an election, you concede and, and you don't lie and, and stuff like that. But he did all of that. He did everything wrong. And, and they just breathlessly reported it. They gave him free airtime about it. And even today, the, it's, it's like they, they consider the insurrection a disagreement,
1: yeah, well, know, some they almost like, treated
4: it like a disagreement.
3: Right, they were right.
1: daring him. They were daring him to to you know to to contest
3: the election, just daring him over and over again, repeatedly for years. They were doing this. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, uh, Sean. It's almost as if they were trying to get him to say that, right? And that goes to the leads leads thing. And I think the one thing that Trump. It, Trump is a, is is obviously uh, horrible in, in in so many different ways, but the, like his brilliance and it, his brilliance is his his understanding of what will drive a news cycle, um, mm-hmm. and he 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 knows it intuitively, and he and I think by the time you got to the twenty twenty election, he was real. He knew, especially with the bully pulpit of the presidency, you know, he really understood that. He could just how much control he had over that news cycle and how valuable his antics are to the news. And so I think that he felt empowered. I think to, to your point, Sean, I really do think that he felt empowered over the course of since 2015 and all the way through his 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 uh, his presidency um, to basically say, yeah, you know what, I can get away with. He knows what he knew what he could get away with because he knew that how much the media needed him, and that mm-hmm. was that's a really unhealthy relationship between uh, between any person in the media, but certainly between the president of the United States and certainly between the president of the United States, who is Donald Trump, and the media. That is a recipe for well, it's a recipe for where we are. It's a recipe for January fucking six, is what it is. Yeah, just a disaster. I mean, I, I like and and every t- I just cringed
1: every time that question came up, and it's mm-hmm. like. Are, who who are you kidding here? Like, this is America. This is the United States of America. We're, you know, 240-year-old democracy. Like, how how can you be asking this guy if he's going to concede? You know, yeah. he'll get dragged out of the White House. And, and as, as a matter of fact, he almost had to be. So, right. um, well, wow, that that that's like, we're almost in an hour. And that went by really quickly. And um, <laughs> Doug, I want to give you the floor. Is there anything else that you would like to say about this problem of both sidesism and the and or anything at all um, before we go?
3: Yeah, you well, uh, like plug your stuff too. Plug your stuff.
4: Well, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, I think it was Sean, you mentioned earlier, was uh,
1: media uh, telling us what we needed to know. How, how'd that go again? Oh, telling people what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. Right? right? Because sometimes if it's COVID or whatever, or if it's the economy, you might need to hear some bad news. You know, right? Right.
3: That's right. That's right.
1: Right. And, and it reminded me uh, about the time that Reagan was
4: elected. Uh, The economy was tanked. And, and people were hurting suffering was going on real suffering. And he went to the news media. And this is, I, I don't have the quote, I don't have the source or anything. But this was he went to he talked to the presidents of the news medias at the time and said, look, you know, people are suffering. People are hurting. Let's not put it on the news every single night. You know, (laughs) because every single night this factory closed, this soup kitchen open every Mm -hmm. night, you Mm -hmm. know, because he knew that seeing it in the media drove opinion.
3: Right. Mm. You know, if you
4: kept seeing the bad stuff, you'd be like, man stuff sucks, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and he didn't want that. So he asked them to, you know, tone it down and they did.
3: Which is crazy. That's crazy. crazy, He shouldn't have that kind of power. Right. No.
4: And see, and then that then allowed him then to say, see, things are getting better
1: Mm -hmm.
4: because it's in the media, you know, and, and ever since then, it's been this access thing, with the national media and and the white house or the congress that they don't want to say anything bad about them because then they won't come on their pundit shows
3: mm-hmm.
4: which i think should be banned i hate pundit shows i don't watch oh, them
3: they're the worst they're,
4: they're, they are even and they've seeped into the nfl now and i don't oh. watch. Them. <laughs> you're don't
3: watch, right you're absolutely right
4: <laughs> i don't watch the pregame shows for the nfl anymore because of that anyway oh. And so ever since that time, and that was about the time the fairness doctrine went away,
2: mm-hmm. that
4: these news media people have been taking dictation from Washington about what people need to know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's and it's hurt us. It really has, because yeah. we need to see, even though it, even though it hurts us to see the negative stuff, we need to see that. Um, and so I, when I was doing some research for. Talking to you guys today, it also reminded me about uh, Geraldo Rivera. He's oh, yeah. a mainstay on Fox. Oh. You know, uh, most people think that he got his start uh, with the with the um, um, Al Capone's Vault, yeah, TV show, which I watched. I watched the whole two I watched hours. Watched it too. <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: <laughs> and, and so people think that that's <laughs> where he got his start. But he was he worked for WABC TV in New York. Uh, and he was hired in 1970 as a reporter. And in 1972, he broke open the case about the uh, abuse and, that was going on at Willowbrook Hospital or or something like that. It's where they kept uh, mentally disabled people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, And he snuck in with a camera crew and filmed the deplorable conditions that these people were being housed in. And uh, stat- it was on Staten Island Willow- Willowbrook State School in Rockland County's Letchworth Village. And he wow. won national awards yeah. for breaking that story. He was an investigative reporter that broke that story that ended up leading him to getting hired at uh, 2020 on ABC. Huh. And, and, uh, and that also led to a change in national policy To where they closed down all these warehouses that were warehousing mentally disabled people. And now people are getting better treatment in the community. Uh, Some people, though, still complain that people with mental disabilities, uh, mental health disabilities, are falling through the cracks. But, you know, some of the, I watched, uh, I don't think I saw, I think I was too young for the original report, but I think I saw it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it was just horrific
2: mm. that the
4: condition that these people were living in and well, then to see and and then to see him on Fox.
1: Uh, it's, know, just, it's just, it's such a fall from a, from a from, yeah. a, from a heroic investigative reporter to now this just muckraking asshole at Fox. And you know who else was really bad. You know what else like took really personally was Brit Hume.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was another one. That's a yeah, great I liked, point. I liked him until he turned into evil. Evil yeah. Brett Hume <laughs> he really he really really did you know uh, just to you know I one the thing that you mentioned and I know we're closing down here but I just want to just jump in here real quick is and we talked a lot about today you guys both both of you guys specifically talking about we need to hear the bad news right mm-hmm. and you guys remember the uh, brave new world and the the book and so one of the things soma was this drug that they would take, (laughs) right, to basically what would just like, you know, just sort of chill them out and make them not think about things that anything, anytime anything that 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 was like controversial or anything like that. And that's what I see on social media all the time, right? Like, why do you have to be divisive, right? Right. Like, why are you pointing out this stuff? It's like, just just love everybody just let's just love everybody (laughs) as if that right, this sort of this sort of stuff, ignoring it. And I think that one way that I see this sort of really playing out is with the, the the, the masks, the COVID nineteen, right? COVID nineteen is the first time in a long time that people have had any serious inconvenience in their lives, like right, right, where they really can't do exactly what they want to do whenever they want to do it, no matter how much money they have, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about money or whatever. It's like no, you just can't get to X, Y, and Z place. And so what we're seeing is that same sort of temper tantrum of having to face reality, not being able to, not being able to just put blinkers on and pretend that things aren't happening that life is just great for everybody um and you see this temper tantrum and um I think it's so critical that we break through that temper tantrum somehow and get the to get that truth to people, right? And we can live in a, perhaps live in a world that's a, that's a tad better. And we have a long, 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 long way to go. But I'm really glad, uh, Doug, that folks like you um, and what we're doing here, that we are doing our best, our little drop in the mm-hmm. bucket to try and spread the word about this stuff. And I'm so glad that you came on, Doug. Thanks. I
4: appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here. And I really like uh, your show and and everything that, uh, uh, you guys have on your website and everything. So cool.
1: it's really good, awesome. really good. Yeah. Well, again, we're really happy to have you. And thank you for being a Patreon supporter for us. That's awesome. And I look forward to also like maybe we can have, you know, some more conversations surrounding media. I did not realize that you were a journalist. So that's like, this is awesome. Well, like, I didn't
4: get a degree, but I studied it. So, oh, okay. Well, um, Hey, you're better than 90% of
1: the people out there who call themselves reporters. I guarantee you're better yeah. than they are. Yeah. I think that's almost certainly right. <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks again, Doug. Uh, you have a great week. And uh, until we talk to you again. Thanks. You too. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Doug and Christoph, Joe and Drew, what did you think? Well,
0: I thought that was an excellent discussion. I thought uh, Mr. Berger had some excellent points i mean he took the words right out of my mouth in some cases you know i actually i stopped watching cnn uh during the 2016 election not because i have any animosity or think they're fake news or any bullshit like that but because i couldn't take that false equivalency and those panel discussions would devolve into madness because they keep trying to indulge this false narrative that every single opinion and every idea is equally valid and deserves equal airtime when that could not be further from the truth as we learned during the Trump era so uh, i appreciated him coming on and uh, hopefully uh, he'll join the show again
2: yeah yeah it, it was uh, i learned a lot from from listening it's it was an interesting conversation you guys had i'm glad you you invited him on i, I think he was he made some very astute points about about where we're at, right? Where, where, what our strategy should be, and what our problems are, and how we should like up our game, essentially.
1: Absolutely, and we want to do more of that. Of course, we want to have have you know good people on. I used to on my on my solo show that I did, uh, you know, many years ago. I used to have a lot of famous authors on, and I, I don't think that that's that is quite the fit for our show. But I think having academics and experts is good. Like we have someone lined up who I keep talking about, who has written an alternative constitution. And on October 1st, we're gonna take that show, uh, you and I, Joe. Um, and- Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Me too. So yeah, we just keep hammering. Yep. Guys, we, we, we keep hammering and that's what we do. So thank you for being with us today. That is our show. And if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, Support us on Patreon and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Sean Profit. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular.
2: The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defo, Sean Prophet, Joe
0: Okapinti, and Drew Scott. Artwork and design by Tim Stetner. Post production and theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team: Lindsey Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti.